This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Do you like sci-fi, fantasy, action, adventure, and comic books? Then you've come to the right place for your weekly dose of anything and everything geek. So strap in and let's get this show on the road. Welcome to the Science Fictionary Podcast. Welcome back, sci-fi fans, to another episode of the Science Fictionary Podcast. I'm Andrew. I'm here tonight with Marisha. How's it going? And tonight we have a very special guest here with us to help us round out the Pillars of Adventure. Uh, the Backyard uh, backyard TARDIS, it's Nick, is here with us tonight. Hello, everyone. Hey, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, you guys? Doing, doing great. Uh, I wanted to tell you we've been enjoying uh, uh, your YouTube stuff, your adventures in, in locksmithing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's... It sounds like you encounter, and I think I told you the other day, it sounds like you encounter a lot of the same kind of craziness that I encounter on a daily basis. And uh, so I've really been getting a kick out of, out of your stories there. Yeah. Who, who knew that yeah, locksmithing was... that has to, to go out and meet people at their homes yes. and stuff like that. And yep. Deal with customers calling you. There's, there's going to be a lot of... Uh, mm-hmm. Well, and you especially, you don't see people at their best <laughs> whenever they've just locked themselves out of their house right. or their car or yeah. whatever. Yeah. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, <clears throat> I've really been enjoying that. And if you're, if you're listening, definitely go check that out. And then a little bit, we'll, we'll give Nick a chance to tell you where you can find all of his, his stuff. And, but, and, a, yeah, by, and a little to actually pluck down. Yeah. <laughs> and by in a little bit, you mean once we finally get done talking in a couple of hours. <laughs> uh, it's not going to take that long. But um, so at the end of all of our pillar series, one of the things we like to come back and do is ask the people who have been listening, what did we leave out? And, you know, there's um, because there's so many things and we kind of try to limit ourselves. This time around, there were only three of us doing it, so we gave ourselves an extra one. We tried to limit ourselves to five choices in each category. Mm -hmm. And, man, it's hard because you know you're leaving things. Important things. Important things on the table when Mm -hmm. you do that. And sometimes we squeeze them in there, even if they're over our limit, Mm -hmm. if we know there's one that's just so big it's got to go. But we do like to ask our listeners, what's out there? What did we forget to add and or what did we not have room for? And so I know Nick had a list for us, and it sounds like he might have talked to some people that might have had some other suggestions. And uh, I am now remembering that uh, Charles from Conversations did not respond to the message I put out the other day. But back when we did movies, mm-hmm. Charles from Conversations said that he, the first thing he asked was, where is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? On the book list. <laughs> mm-hmm. And certainly one of my favorites. It's definitely one that had I had more than five choices, mm-hmm. I couldn't, it was one of those I, I couldn't see putting it that high, but it, it's it's a great adventure book. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, and it, it is, and it, it meets all of the requirements for what defines adventure in literature. Uh-huh. Uh, so I do want to, uh, we'll, we'll put that one on, on there for Charles. Yes. Of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. 
But uh, Nick, what so what do you have I, for I us? I had trouble like when it came to literature. I you hit all the older stuff that I would have picked. Uh, anything that I could have come up with would have been kind of newer. But uh, Matt Vader came up with Robert E. Howard, his mm-hmm. work. So he he's the one that came up with Conan the Barbarian. Okay. Right. And a number of other things. And he's um, credited as the father of sword and sorcery uh, novels. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, you could certainly put some of his works on there. And we... Uh, you know, I don't even know if you would put Howard in the the miscellaneous category and lump his his body of works in there, or uh, whether you would choose like the Conan stuff because that's probably the most well known uh, yeah. of, of his works. Um, and when we did pick him up, we did have him on our fantasy list. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I yeah. I do think that 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 is a great entry. On the adventure list as well. And and that was kind of the thing with adventure. As soon as we started doing it, we started realizing how much overlap. So much. And that, it was, it was really surprising to me. Like, because whenever I just thought adventure, I thought Indiana Jones, right? But whenever you really start looking at it as a genre, the, the amount of overlap is really staggering with either fantasy or sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Most of it really can could could be kind of taken into either one of those categories pretty easily. A lot of it. I mean, you certainly have your adventure types that don't fit at all in either right. of those, but there a lot are of them a, that a do. lot of you know a lot of things that do. But uh, so so Matt Vader had Robert E. Howard. Did you have any others out there? Anybody else that? Um. So one that was on my list, uh, but uh, Price of Reason brought up uh, Back to the Future. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely when you think about the fact that, you know, when you look at that definition of adventure, and that includes, you know, taking someone out of their normal situation, and you think of what Marty went through over the course of those three movies. Mm-hmm. Right. So he went back to the 50s, he goes to the future, and then he goes to an alternate timeline. And then he goes to the old West. Right. And, and he's just an everyday, barely going through high school kid. Uh-huh. Right. And he goes on this fantastical adventure just because he happens to know this kind of crazy eccentric old man mm-hmm. who invents a time machine. Right. Yeah, no, that's a great one. Um, uh, that, that's one, like you said, it, it fits all of the, requirements i mean just kind of the basic requirements of what mm-hmm. what is an adventure story and yep um, ordinary person extraordinary circumstances yeah oh and i sure do love me like any anywhere that back to the future can come up it's one of my favorites because yeah. man i just it's, it's my favorite property of all time yeah it's 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 Definitely one of my favorites. I was so disappointed when I tried to show it to my kids. After a few minutes, I was like, if I ever hear you say any of these words, you're grounded <laughs> forever and you'll never watch anything fun again. Um, I had forgotten about the language issue. But anyway, um, I was so disappointed that they didn't just love and adore it and think it was the coolest thing ever. They were too young. They were too young, but it really yeah. it really brought into doubt their taste and just <laughs> life. <laughs> <laughs> I, and, I, and I thought it was funny. Uh, Comedy Central recently they uh, 
they edited out the word Indian. Oh, really? Uh, in uh, Back to the Future 3. Oh, my goodness. So anytime they say the word Indian, it just goes silent. But all the cuss words are still there. <laughs> that's, that's so bizarre. And I, it, it's an odd choice. I, I know that a lot of people consider that to not be proper terminology anymore. But there's also the fact that a lot of your Native American people still refer to themselves that way. Yeah. And there's kind of like, um, it's a hard thing in media now because when you're showing something as a timepiece. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, it, it's hard to put something back then and then try to make it, um, you know, equivalent to today's time period. Is that, right. is that hiding? Right. If, you if you try and present history. history as always being politically correct by this year's standards, you're doing a disservice because then all of a sudden you're not presenting history as it is. Yeah. Well, we actually had, I mean, had that same conversation about a number of the books on this list mm-hmm. uh, with things like um, Solomon, King Solomon's Mines mm-hmm. and Huck Finn. Yeah, you were talking about that with Huck Finn. That, um, that was required reading for me in school. Yeah, yeah. same here. And I mean, it, it's such a... It's such a touchstone for an era of of this nation, especially mm-hmm. us. I mean, we live in the South. Like, you know, yeah. that it's it's a reflection that that people here just understand and, and know it, it's it's part of our story. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, but man, like, no, I mean, you can't take something like that and then try to run it through the filter of what's okay to say in twenty twenty one, right? Um, um, and there are definitely, you know, for young children, there are definitely things that I, I choose not to, you know, we choose not to read right now. Um, like yeah. the original Dr. Doolittle. I was like, yeah, we're not going to read that this year. I mean, when they get a little older and we can, you know, have a conversation about, and this is why this is an issue. Right. But that's, you know, and to say, well, we want to show our kids a broader perspective. That's great. Bring in literature from, you know, other viewpoints and other cultures, but... To decide that classic literature is not valid because it, well, it, it's not it's, politically correct it, is a problem too. Well, and we live in a, a time; it, it, things are very. It's very sort of hypocritical uh, right now with the way things are handled. Because, and I promise, I'm not fixing to go on a long rant here. But, like, yeah, you can't say Indians and in Back to the Future, but you can put sex in Star Wars, right? Yeah, like, I mean. What what is what are we trying to do? Like, <laughs> yeah, um, it just kind of seems to be all over the place. But uh, Back to the Future is a fantastic entry. Uh, all three of the ones we've got down so far are great entries. That you know, it's one of those things. Like I'm looking at them and going, yeah, I'm glad that's on the list because mm-hmm. I would have loved for all three of those to have been on the list, and we just didn't have the have the space for them. Uh, did anybody else have anything? So the one other I got was uh, Has from Australia. I have him on Discord, and uh, um, I don't know if he he fully understood the 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 pillars because this is kind of a, a newer show. But uh, he he did the TV show Band of Brothers. Ooh, yeah. Okay. So that's a, a military uh-huh. uh, right. show and. I didn't know. I, I didn't know anything about it. Kind of looked it up. I didn't know it had Tom Hanks in it. 
a TV show with Tom Hanks in it. Band of, if you've never watched Band of Brothers, I highly recommend it. Yeah, it's excellent. Um, it is it is a fantastic there series. Was also a, a lot of big names in it. Yeah, and there was also a... Um, it came out not too long after Saving Private Ryan. It kind of came... They kind of did that... Um, right soon after this, you know, Saving Private Ryan was so successful. Um, there's also another sh- another series that they they also made about the Pacific Theater. Yeah. Yep. Um, also worth watching. Mm. But yeah, Band of Brothers is is a really good one. And it, and it's an it, that's an interesting one because it's one that you don't initially think of as an adventure film or adventure TV, but you know, I mean, it, it's because it's. Because it's real life, you know it's, yeah. it's based on real things. But I mean, for for those seventeen, eighteen, nineteen year olds that were taken away from their small town, from their rural. small town life, and mm-hmm. thrown into you know the largest conflict mm-hmm. that the Earth's ever seen. I mean, that's. I mean, it. it I, I can definitely see the argument for including it. It's it's a yeah. it's a real I mean it, of course the show is fictional but it's a it's a real life adventure. Mm-hmm. I mean it's 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 a real life version of what all of these adventure stories are about, mm-hmm. and it's the sort of thing that inspired them. Countless writers that have been that were inspired to write mm-hmm. adventure after both World War One and World War Two. I mean even Tolkien. Yeah, you know. I mean that that was a huge part of what shaped Tolkien's. Uh, view when he wrote Lord of the Rings. Yeah. You know, and so... Yeah, I think when, when you think of adventure, you know, there's there's a lot of subcategories that go on under right. that, and, you know, the kind of the military war story mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. definitely one of them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that's interesting. I don't think we really have anything in that category, so that's, that's, a, that's a good one. It seemed like there was uh, at least one war movie. I, I think you had Saving Private Ryan. I think so. Okay, it was. I don't have the list in front of me, but I'm pretty sure that Saving Private Ryan was on the list, and maybe one other. I know we mentioned some, uh, like things like Bridge Over the River Kwai, and I might have put the Dirty Dozen on that list. I can't remember. Hmm. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, and that was one of the the few genres that I didn't, because on some of these I went I went back and tried to search, you know what. You know, these are kind of a lot of adventure type shows or movies. And what was something that was kind of one of the original? Mm -hmm. So on my list, I started out with Stargate. Oh, yeah, that's great. And um, one thing with my list, just because I need to make it shorter and I I didn't sort things out as movie or TV, but. Um, starting there with the movie, when you, you think about what that mechanic of the Stargate brought into sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, because th- there were books and stuff before that had, had kind of done that concept. But we hadn't really seen that kind of travel done. Everything was by, by ship. Mm-hmm. Right. In sci-fi. And then that kind of brought this new element of possibility and being able to tell it in modern day and have it believable that, you know, the military could actually be doing this at our current status Mm -hmm. and going out to all these fantasiful 
places and um the when you look at the movie from Daniel Jackson's perspective right bless his heart you know, he he's an archaeologist so you're ticking that adventure box right there you know he he mm-hmm. discovers this alien artifact that he gets the team through falls in love mm-hmm. you know he's he's a person who's not a warrior but he helps fight that battle in that war and then where does it pick up with the tv show but his wife is captured and then he has to go on a quest to get her back mm-hmm. yeah, yeah so that's, that's that's certainly i mean that's a really good one and again one of my favorites uh in fact i'm i'm excited now you you showed me that uh Stuff that that new video game that's coming out, that new RP, uh, Stargate RPG. Uh, yeah. oh, heaven help us all. We'll never see Andrew again. <laughs> Remember, love, why we don't play RPGs. Why don't yeah, we play RPGs? I, I, I kind of gave it up when I got married, and I'm looking at it. Uh-huh. I don't have a computer that can play it, so I'm like, well, uh, I'm going to have to buy a new computer. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah, unfortunately, marriage was also not good for Andrew's <clears throat> potential career in video games. <laughs> yeah, I was a few years too early to get in on the streaming action, but uh, I was putting in those kind of hours. Yeah. <laughs> and then, alas, you got yourself a wife and three kids, and now you only play in the middle of the night. Yep. <laughs> See, and, and I would, I, I did it as binging when I was single. Mm-hmm. And uh-huh. so right. um, I would just, when I get into uh, like Age of Empires or something like that, I'd play for 12 hours straight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, I used to play civilization that way. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, when you, when you're a new couple and you decide you're just going to disappear for 12 hours, that doesn't go over. <laughs> right. Alas. Yeah. In fact, whenever we got married, Andrew didn't play Xbox at all for six whole weeks. But you better bet the first night on week seven, he was <laughs> logging onto that Xbox. <laughs> it's like, hey, I'm back. <laughs> but his wife is not let him play video games. Some wives aren't nice like that. Right? 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 Right, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have to remind him sometimes of what a, what a good wife I am in case he forgets. I have to, you know, just throw out helpful reminders. And if he doesn't pick up on the you know, the uh, insinuation, then I, I, I can help him out with that too. <laughs> um. Well, yeah, I, I have a wonderful wife. We, uh, we have such opposing interests. Oh yeah. And, um, so we both, we both have to balance and, and work out. She is uh, animals and ranch life all the time. Okay. Horses, goats, uh-huh. all that kind of stuff. And yeah. uh, we kind of meet in the middle as far as entertainment with, with crime shows. But when <laughs> it comes to sci-fi, the only the only thing she'll watch is Superman. Superman, okay. Because okay. she likes the dynamic of Lois and Clark. Okay. okay. That's funny. But but outside of that, no superheroes. No superheroes. Like no, Rose, Rose wife Trek, and his his uh, his gets his wife on his uh, my wife hates sci fi podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we're we've been pretty lucky. We've got a pretty good bit of overlap in our entertainment choices. We, we both have yeah. We have a both have a pretty broad 
lit litany of things that like I don't do any like I don't do zombie movies or horror of any kind really I just don't like it and he doesn't do Jane Austen so that's kind of where we <laughs> diverge because he's a stick in the mud and does not appreciate the great literature that is Pride and Prejudice and he doesn't want to watch it for six hours at a time for some unknown reason but other than that we we have a lot of uh, overlap so mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. At least that that ensures that Andrew always has a co-host, if nothing Dan else. Daniel's not here to tell you that all that Jane Austen stuff belongs on another the podcast. podcast. <laughs> no, every time I start on that, he's like, don't talk about that here. Go talk, go start your own podcast talking about Jane Austen if you want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Stargate's your first entry. What else you got, Nick? Because I saw that list. It's it's pretty pretty long. <laughs> yeah. So let's go through them. We don't have to cover all of them, but... The next one I had was the uh, 50s Disney live action movies. Oh, yeah. And initially I was thinking Swiss Family Robinson. As a kid, that mm -hmm. was like one of my favorite movies that Disney did was the mm -hmm. Swiss Family Robinson. Mm -hmm. And then I went back and looked and I go, well, Treasure Island predated Kidnapped. that. And then I looked at that whole decade Hmm. And I think there was one movie, I can't remember what, it was like Nutty Professor or something like that, but outside uh -huh. of one comedy, every live action movie of that year was classified as either adventure or action adventure. Interesting. Well, that would have been, I mean, that tracks, that's when they did um, uh, Robin Hood. Yeah, it's that's, got Robin they Hood. They did Kidnapped around that time too, right? Yep. Um, yep. And then, like you said, Swiss Family Robinson and Treasure Island. What else do they do? Rose. Oh, okay, yeah. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Oh, I forgot about 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, yep. Davy Crockett movies? Davy Crockett. Was Davy Crockett on our list? No. Oh, that's a travesty. I think we you, just did talk about it. We did talk about it, okay. The um, We got a chain heist one, The Great Locomotive Chase. Oh, yes. Yeah, I've been to the museum. Wagons. Mm -hmm. um, talking about stuff you have to watch in school. Johnny Tremaine. Yep. Um, let's see. The Sign of Zorro. Yep. Yep. Wow. Derby O'Gill and the Little People. Third Man on the Mountain. Um, and Swiss Family Robinson. So there's... Wow. Uh, and, and there was there's more. Right. Old Yellers... Just a ton of uh, movies in that era. And then if you look um, at like Fox and like some of them started having in the middle of that started having similar movies. So there are some right. of the standout movies like uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth. Right. Uh -huh. in 59. And that was kind of a, a response to Disney was just putting out movie after movie in this adventure genre. Interesting. And really yeah. continued to do that really probably all the way up through the 70s. I mean, Escape to Witch Mountain was in the in the early 70s, right? Bedknobs and Brooms. Well, um, yep. So in the 60s, though, they, they seem to have a switch to a lot of comedies. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's when a lot of the... That darn cat. The... Love Bug mm -hmm. and The Nutty Professor and 
the original Flubber and all that stuff was in the 60s. Right. So that was what, all the Dean Anderson movies. Yeah. Uh, so Dean it was Anderson like they and went uh, through this period of here's our adventure movies. Right. And then they had one towards the m- middle of that that was a comedy that was a hit. Mm-hmm. And then the next decade, it all went to, to comedies. Interesting. Anderson. Well, you know, and that was back in the day whenever studios had actors. And so they yeah. clearly had a gold mine in... Um, Oh, shoot. What is his name? Dean? Dean? Whatever. The guy who was the nutty professor, he was in That Darn Cat. He was in Herbie. Yep. Um, but, yeah, he was, I guess he was He was what they decided was making them money, so they were going to go for funny. That's really interesting. But, yeah, I love that. Um, I love that as and a. So many of these movies, you know, they hold up. All the stuff is practical. Lots of. Of set a good story, um, you know, it wasn't over dramatic like we see a lot. Of, like we were talking earlier before about you know how they do some stuff today. Right. Mm-hmm. It 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 really translated the books well. Yeah, and that's back in the day when at least Disney was more interested in making like a lot of movies that they made that were adaptions of books around that time, like only very vaguely resembled the books, but the Disney projects were tended to be very true to the source material. Yep. Um, Maybe not as much Swiss family Robinson as some of the others, but most of the others were very much like the books. Yeah. And so next on my list, I had the lost world from 1925. Yeah. And this one is one. How many movies has there been where they they discovered dinosaurs? Mm-hmm. And it's you know an archaeologist or it's a cowboy, or, or they're going in the Amazon or the center of the earth. Like there's so many different stories about discovering dinosaurs hidden somewhere on the earth. And this is one of the the first ones and. It's interesting because it, it does hold up, like, even though it's that old, mm-hmm. the the dinosaurs still have kind of a, a texture to it. You know, sometimes you watch some of those and, and it's like claymation or something and it's it's really bad. Right. Um, I, I think of the first time Doctor Who did um, dinosaurs and they, they look like toys that somebody was playing with. Right. Yeah, that's funny. But... It, uh, you know, and it, and it followed a lot of the tropes because it, it was an expedition led by a professor. Mm -hmm. So you had kind of that Indiana Jones trope Mm -hmm. of them going in, um, to the Amazon and then discovering this hidden area where dinosaurs still existed. And so a lot of those. Right. And it's kind of a bummer. Jurassic Park came out. It was amazing, and it seems like every studio thinks, well, now there's no other way to do dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and it used to be that there were all these great dinosaur movies. Right. Interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, and the, it the Lost World's a fun one, and it, it's, uh, you know, of course, originated with one of the the great fantasy, you know, sci-fi fantasy writers of all time with uh, Arthur Conan Doyle. Hmm. Uh, who penned the book that the movie's based on. And um, yeah, that's a great one. That was one of, 
I didn't watch a lot of those old, uh, that was actually a silent picture, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think that, that might've been the, one of the first silent films I saw outside of Charlie Chaplin stuff. Right. Yeah. So it's, that's, you know, something that, uh, I think, uh, you know, can earn that. Cause I was thinking of stuff that was like from the fifties and sixties. Mm-hmm. Right. But then I, I, I tried to I just put in a search, you know, oldest, you know, lost dinosaur movies. And yeah. I kept going back <laughs> and then I'd find one that's even older. And then I found this one and I just, you know, watched portions of it. Right. And, and, and read the kind of the, the bio recap of it. And it, it's an amazing accomplishment for the time period. That Absolutely. That's all. We might actually might so watch the, that one with the kids. Next one on my list, I you know I kind of cheated. I did an, a bunch of these uh, conglomerate ones. Yeah. But uh, the uh, Disney traditional uh, animation. Mm-hmm. So not the not the Pixar stuff, but um, mm-hmm. you know, initially I thought okay. We'll do Snow White because that was the first. Right. But then I thought, well, is it is it adventure enough? It, it is a bit, but people don't really think of Snow White when they think of adventure. And I wanted to put Peter Pan, but you know, Pinocchio and Sword in the Stone came before that. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I, I I started thinking about Alice in Wonderland, mm-hmm. Jungle Book, Aladdin. Tarzan, there's just so many in there mm-hmm. that with that traditional animation that Disney that that built Disney into what they are, mm-hmm. right? And it's good to see that they're finally kind of getting back to that. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they had like a couple of, you know, it seemed like after Atlantis and Treasure Planet didn't do that well, right? That they kind of took the hint, like people aren't interested in this this kind of animation anymore, and mm-hmm. I thought that was a shame. I enjoyed both right. those movies. Yeah. Yeah, but now, um, what's the one with Elsa? Oh, Frozen. Frozen and Moana. Mm-hmm. Like they kind of seem like they're they're going back. That they're bringing that art department back. Yeah. And I think that's going back to that style and then kind of going back to more adventure stories is, I mean, the thing is, is that adventure story, it's the thing that, I mean, people just, people generally just crave adventure Mm -hmm. and, you know, you can tell all kinds of other stories, but there's very few things that connect with people the way adventure stories do. Well, the thing about adventure stories, it's not like it's a boy story or it's a girl story. And that's important for Disney is to be able to mobilize the boy market and the girl market at the same time, um, which yeah. is, you know, something that they've struggled with because they went so full on princess for a while. And then I think they were probably Atlantis and Treasure Planet were trying to kind of, you know, get a little bit more boys interested and the movies didn't do as well and so then they were like oh well all princesses all the time and also pixar right but that's ultimately why they they ended up buying marvel right but i would rather see i would rather see 
more adventure stories that are kind of geared just at children in general than just necessarily just princess stories geared yeah. at geared at girls. Yeah. It, one of the things that I think about these Disney animation movies that uh, is something that they take content that isn't suitable for kids right? and makes it suitable for kids. No kidding. And, and it's still sometimes very dark. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I've got a four-year-old at home and you're taking them through some of the movies and, you know, whether Bambi getting shot or, you know, mm-hmm. Tarzan's mom dying, you, you know, those things mm-hmm. really hit home with a young one and, and they look to you and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I got to explain that. Right. Now I got to. Yeah. Um, in fact, I'm not sure that my kids have ever actually seen Snow White. Now that I'm thinking about it, because again, that one traumatized me as a child. That witch, she was scary, and I had one that yeah. when she was little was easily easily frightened. So we've seen a lot of other ones, but I don't know that we've actually seen Snow White. We may have to go back and do that. Uh, but you're right, like, and I think that that's a worthwhile thing in children's entertainment, though, is to have things that have to be discussed and dealt with, because I mean, life is like that, and I want my I want my kids to talk to ask me important questions and know that they're going to get real answers. And, you know, um, Snow White is just a good, as good a place as any to start with those kinds of conversations. Yeah. Now on the subject of animation, there was another style of animation um, that I had, I had two things and I was going back and forth and that was the brave little toaster or the land before time. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're done by I believe the same uh, studio. Okay. They're they're different different owners, but the same kind of production studio, and they have the same art style. But the uh, the brave little toaster, you know, I look at that as a pillar because before that, you never really looked at a movie of an inanimate object or something. You know, we had talking animals, but something that made something that wasn't normally. Mm-hmm. And now you look at what Pixar has done with that. Right. Yeah. And you go, well, well you got Toy Story and you got Bugs Life. And mm-hmm. then you've got, you know, um, Inside Out with emotions and mm-hmm. cars. And, and it's just they keep going thing after thing that normally wouldn't be something we consider having a life and feelings and all that. And then tell amazing stories. Mm-hmm. And The Brave Little Toaster was one of the first movies that did that, that, you know, these household appliances going on this grand adventure because their owner left for college and they, they wanted to be with him. Mm-hmm. Right. I was obsessed with that movie as a kid. Like I was just the right age to be super into the brave little toaster. I think our name, na- we had a neighbor who was super into it and she got us, got us hooked. Yeah. I don't, I, I, I'm aware of that one. I don't really remember. That would have been more than Robbie was really, Robbie was really into the brave little toaster. Yeah. I mean, again, a little dark, like those cars singing while they're getting smashed. Gee whiz. <laughs> nope. There's there's a lot of the whole thing with the, the furnace. Yeah. Yeah, that furnace yeah. was scary. When it goes insane and explodes and dies. Uh-huh. Poor <laughs> yeah. air there's conditioner. A lot of stuff in that movie, but, um, you know, just looking at, you know, at, at the time, 
the the impact might not have been felt. But then when you look at what Pixar has done with that concept, mm-hmm. what have they come up with the idea of from the viewpoint of a life of a toy? Right. If stuff like the Brave Little Toaster didn't exist before it. Yeah, that's a really good point. So that that was kind of why I put that one on the list. Yeah, um, that's an interesting one. Uh, I had looked. I looked up the company. That's uh, uh, Sullivan Bluth Studios. Um, also did American Tale. Oh, is that the one yeah. with? Um, I believe. Yeah. No, it was so someone else's name. They they did a they did a number of uh, of that kind of art style during that period of time and. Mm-hmm. Um, I always liked the the charm of those movies. Yeah, they were really great. And it looks like they were doing a lot of work with Amblin, which is Steven Spielberg's Mm. company. Which, of course, you know, Land Before Time is a a Lucasfilm-Amblin joint project. They made a lot of those Land Before Time movies. recently got my daughter the nine-movie box set for that. Okay, yeah. I didn't know how many there were. I remember the first two. Uh huh. Um, I remember three when I stopped watching. <laughs> uh huh. This there's is what I was TV thinking show too. Right. Oh, there's a TV show too. Who knew? I didn't. Yeah. But yeah, I think I must have been about about the same age when I outgrew it. You know, I think I remember seeing Land Before Time two or maybe three, and before I was just a little outside the demographic. Yep. But yeah, I had no idea they made nine of them. That's insane. <laughs> I know. Um but you know that's that's Hollywood. Yeah. I guess they Sequels were still making they money. Stopped selling. Yeah. So next on my list was Superman. And this I I recall it wasn't on your list, but I recall you guys talking about the radio dramas. Mm-hmm. I think we did for sci fi. He's pretty much the beginning of superhero comics. Uh-huh. Right. The 60s cartoon shorts that used to show in the theater. Uh-huh. The George Reeves TV show. The Christopher Reeves Superman movie. Mm-hmm. Every one of these is kind of a pillar in its genre. Superman Absolutely. has paved the way for any type of superhero adventure. Yep. That's an excellent um, point. It's, it's almost so, like the barometer for what superheroes are going to do this this decade yeah and you know adventures kind of go one of two ways either your protagonist is kind of the uh the scallywag he's bad but he's good Mm -hmm. or they're like the altruistic pure person up against impossible odds right the and pure of heart. Superman's mm-hmm. kind of unique is he, he's not against impossible odds, but he is just that pure altruistic. Mm-hmm. And his adventure is being in a fragile world. Right. And so that's that's something that's kinda kinda unique to him. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's an excellent yeah. point. I like that. Then I then I started thinking like the next couple of ones I thought of what what subgenres are there of um, adventure and I thought of the spy subgenre mm-hmm. yeah. and that brought me to James Bond 
Yeah. There's whether you're talking the books or the movie, you know, there's no more popular spy than James Bond. Right. Right. And you look at the movies and that first movie, Dr. No definitely fits the adventure model. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for sure. it's kind of that mad scientist Island, you know, he's a spy, but he's, he's not just getting Russian intelligence or something. He's a mad scientist on an Island bent on, you know, world conquest type situation. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great one. Um, Bond is one of those, like you said, you know, it's, we, we talk, when we do these pillars conversations, we talk a lot about things that everything that comes after it kind of gets compared to. And like, you can't really do a spy movie or a book without having to draw some comparison to James Bond. Yep. Yeah. That's even, you know, you think now probably the, the next biggest is, you know, um, Mission Impossible movies. Mm-hmm. Right. But even so, when, when those came out, everyone said, well, it's kind of a different take on, on the Bond format. Mm-hmm. That's how everybody described that movie. Right. Yeah. Because that was the spy movie, was was Bond. Yeah, I mean, it was basically just taking Bond and making it more action, you know, of an action flick than a spy flick, um, you know, it was very, very much the Americanization of James Bond. Yeah. It is really what Mission Impossible is. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, like I said, you just can't, you can't do spy anything without talking about Bond because it's no. just, it's part of, it's part of the lexicon when you mm-hmm. talk about spies. Yep. And so, on a similar note, my next one, um, kind of thinking about, you know, the mummy and, you know, temples and stuff like that that you see in Indiana Jones. And that brought me to the 1940s Mummy's Hand. So this mm-hmm. is before Brendan Fraser or Tom Cruise took on the role. It was uh, Stephen Banning playing Dick Foran. Uh, and they were looking for a sarcophagus. And so, uh, and it, it had a sequel. And so this kind of, you know, this, this movie has kind of been made over multiple times, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, just that basic, you know, a, a Egyptian curse type plot mm. point and yeah, kind of, uh, f- for a long time, this was considered the, the, the pinnacle, the standard setter. Until Brendan Fraser kind of uh, became the new one, right? Yeah, that's a that's a good one. I've actually never seen that one. Yeah, um, it's a uh, it's got a really great cast. I pulled it up and was looking. Uh, that's a really really interesting one, and and yeah, it's uh, it kind of fits in that that same realm as. Some of the things like Brennan Fraser. I mean, Brennan Fraser like totally reinvigorated the the whole monster movie genre as far as you know the mummy and things like that. But um, yeah, it really looks like this was one of the first to really 
kick off that genre. And of course, it's from the same era as so many of the greats um, that were doing horror films at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, it kind of it kind of kicked off an era of those kind of fascination with that because it wasn't long after this that there there were other kind of copycat movies and that you'll see through like out the fifties and stuff and then then you have like our classic MonsterVerse mm-hmm. that they they recently tried to reboot but right um, you know those movies kind of came out after this so this kind of set that that tone okay um the next one i have on here this one i'm really excited about as a find and un- unfortunately it's in french hmm. um so probably won't get much out of it but uh judex from 1916 hmm. and you know i was trying to find um something to kind of be like the root of superheroes and movies. Mm-hmm. And this is the first superhero movie. And it's a French f- film about Judix or in English that is translated to judge. Okay. And he's a wealthy mass crusader who uses gadgets to fight crime and avenge the death of his father. This character was totally ripped off with Batman and Zorro because those <laughs> came after. This character was made before those characters. Interesting. So it was really interesting because this was a big French hit, but it never had any international fame. But it's now um, kind of preserved in cinema history, and it's kind of got this recognition as being the first superhero movie. And it, it told a real dark Batman-like story. Right. And he's very, a lot of like the stuff. And they said with, with uh, the writer who did Zorro, partly inspired Zorro okay. on this character. Hmm. Interesting. So uh, it, it, that's it, a, it was a, a, one that I've come across the name, but I never looked into it very much. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, he's totally, that is totally the backstory for Batman. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, you know, parents killed and goes to avenge as a mass superhero. Right? Huh? That and, and is wealthy. Right. Right. So that was kind of a uh, interesting. Now, uh, kind of continuing on with this this idea of finding ones that were the beginning. I I tried to do western, and you guys had a number of westerns on yours. Right. Mm-hmm. And. I tried to find out what was the oldest Western that I could also classify as an adventure. And there was a lot of stuff from like 1910 and 1920s that were, you know, five, 10 minute things or lost to time. Couldn't find a lot on, but Mm -hmm. the big, uh, the big trail from 1930. Hmm. And uh, this was a very, early one that had like an actual substantial movie. And it definitely was about the adventures. They were going on this journey. And, you know, so that kind of that, that, that moving West kind of journey story 
but it was John Wayne's first leading role. Oh, wow. So this is, this is the movie that put John Wayne on the map. <laughs> yeah, that, that probably deserves list. to be on the list just for that. Right. Yeah. Um, so the next one um, I put down was DuckTales. DuckTales, yes. I think was it, I think uh, you may have actually brought that up on on Twitter during the whenever we were recording. Somebody brought it up. I, I talked it, about I talked I mentioned it briefly and talked also talked about uh, Tailspin Adventures. Okay. Um, right. Originally, I had written on here like Disney Afternoon. Uh huh. Right. But with because you got Rescue Rangers, Ducktales, like mm-hmm. all of um, Tailspin, you know, those all kind of go in that adventure kind of category. But with Ducktales, it goes more than just the cartoon, right? Because mm-hmm. you also have it, it's it's derivative of the Scrooge McDuck mm-hmm. uh, comics, right? Which is where the Rolling Boulder from Indiana Jones comes from. Oh, really? Oh, that's there crazy. Is I had a no Scrooge idea. Scrooge McDuck comic that is shot for shot, image for image, what is from the Indiana Jones movie. And Spielberg has said that's where his inspiration came from <laughs> for it. That is hilarious. So a lot of people think of like DuckTales, oh, it's, you know, silly Disney ducks right. kind of playing Indiana Jones. But Indiana Jones copied stuff from the city Disney Ducks. <laughs> wow. Right? And that's one of the things, like, we've tried even sometimes, kind of even more and more to include things like animation on our list because it's easy to write it off as, oh, it's just animation. It's just a cartoon. But, yeah. I mean, you can tell you can tell really great stories in animated format. Well, and not and, to mention, that's the formative things that especially young people, it's what influences the next generation of artists. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, in a lot of ways, like, you know, we're finally kind of getting to a point where, where superhero movies are kind of accomplishing stuff, but like animation in some ways Mm -hmm. allows you to do stuff that you just can't do in live action. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, for sure. And so sometimes when you're doing the more uh, fantasy field, the more mm-hmm. adventure-y, um, you can get a little more crazy mm-hmm. with animation, whereas practicality really limits what you can do um, when you're doing something live action. Excellent. That, that, yeah. That, well, and I think a really good example of that, even just within the past couple of years, you know, we had a um, a live action Spider Man came out, and we had Into the Spider Verse come out, and they were both great movies in their own way. But there were definitely visually compelling things that they could do in Into the Spider Verse that would never have been possible in a live action movie. Right. Um, and you know, it, it kind of begs comparison because they were made so close together. Um, but it definitely is its own unique kind of art form. Then, like you said, there yeah. are just things that you can do that just make sense visually in animation that just don't make sense visually in live action. Yeah. Next one, and I, I think this is my last time bringing up a Disney property. 
it, uh, it's so hard. It's so hard not to. There's so not, there's so many Disney properties. Yeah. But this one is one that really is close to my heart. Um, is Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Um, as as a kid, m- my dad's job. They used to have corporate meetings at Disneyland. And so we went once every other year. Okay. And you go into Disneyland, and not only do you have Adventureland, but you have Fantasyland, Tomorrowland, uh-huh. Frontierland. Uh, you have the Pirates of the Caribbean in New Orleans. It's just... Now we have, like, Universal Studios has done their Harry Potter section... But mm-hmm. Disneyland from the get-go was kind of the first escapist theme park. Mm-hmm. And you go to Disneyland and everything feels like Disneyland. Everything feels like imagination. Even mm-hmm. if there's a Starbucks, it's got to be Disney-fied. Right. And when you go in there, it's just every little detail you look at the amount of work that they put into transforming that space mm-hmm. into something special is amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, man, the Disney parks just overall and are just the amount of work, the amount of attention to detail in those parks. It's is, unreal. Yeah. And just the, the constant updating and, and using new technology and, and all the things they do to make that experience magical, which is, you know, that's their goal. Well, and I mean, and really at, at the core of it, the entire point is for you to walk in that park and feel like you're on a, your own adventure. You yeah. know, yeah. You're, you're on you're on a quest, you're on some kind of magical, you know, you're getting swept along in this magical world. And I mean, even as an adult, it's got it's got that vibe. Um, so I, I can't imagine how much it would feel that way as a kid, you know? Yeah. And then it, it was a whole other thing when I took my, I took my daughter and she was pretty little, mm-hmm. uh, maybe two. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I kind of wondered how much she would recall, but she, she recalls it. Mm-hmm. But I recall going on the um, submarine ride. Yep. And just watching all of a sudden, like her eyes were glued to that porthole. Mm-hmm. So there was, there was a number of things like she slept through the parts of the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wouldn't she be a, she, she fell asleep in line and slept through the whole ride. Right. Yep. But you know, there was so many things that like, she was just like glued and enamored with. Yep. Well, me, Elijah so- was, had just turned three when we went. And he was really overall more interested in riding in his Mickey stroller than he was in any of the attractions. But there are things he will still talk about that barnstormer. (laughs) Now he screamed like someone was gouging his eyes out (laughs) through that entire ride. I mean, but literally we got off. He's like, I want to do it again. And he still, I mean, this is five years later and he'll still, you know, we're going to go ride that barnstormer. Yeah. Yeah. So it's crazy. It's it's one of those really eminently memorable things, even for little bitty people. Yep. Yeah. So the next one on my list 
um, kind of switching over to video games ah. was the uh, collective works of Square Enix. Mm-hmm. And um, they're known for Final Fantasy, mm-hmm. Dragon Quest, and Kingdom Hearts. Okay. And um, Tomb Raider. Oh, wow. Yeah, lots of big hitters there. Heavy hitters. And it's one of those things where they're, every time another company really comes out with a rival in their space, they buy them up. Oh, yeah. It's one way to because do it. Because they, they did Final Fantasy, and then they bought the people who did Dragon Quest and merged. Mm-hmm. Right. And then they bought the people who did Tomb Raider. <laughs> Yeah, that, there's been a lot of that in the video game uh, world where it seems like there's fewer and fewer developers because they just keep buying, the, you know, several of them. Like EA, I don't even know how many companies EA has bought up at this point. Which True, but with EA, within five years, that company doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> That's true. With With Square Enix, like, all these properties are still getting games. Right. And so, you know, Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy are two of the biggest, Mm -hmm. you know, Japanese RPGs out there. And both of them are incredibly based on going on a quest. Mm -hmm. And so they all, each entry in the game starts out with a new new character Mm -hmm. and you have to go on a grand adventure. Yeah. And then when you look at, uh, the um, Kingdom Hearts game that they got a license with Disney, and so they basically took a Final Fantasy anime kid, and he discovers that he has the ability to save the kingdom of Disney. Oh, perfect! And he goes from kingdom to kingdom, helping King Mickey go to Toy Story, go to the hundred acre woods go to Neverland and to fight anime bad guys. Right. Yep. And it's just like kind of like a crazy concept of a game. Is that why they gave up on Disney infinity? Is, is, is it that? No, Disney infinity just wasn't working. Okay. The, the model with the characters and everything, people just weren't buying enough of them. Okay. What happened, a big part of Disney Infinity was phase, um, it was doing good, and then they overbanked on phase three. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they were already developing phase four, but they were in such debt from phase three that it was canceled. Okay. Because they just overproduced. They they really had this idea that Marvel, because their their phase three was when they I think introduced Marvel and Star Wars, mm-hmm. and they just expected based on that that it would just sell. So they they purchased ahead of time such a large amount of stock. Okay, right. It's why you and can still go. It's despite the fact the game's been canceled for a while now, you can still go online and buy new in the box. Mm-hmm. The, there's no character really that you could want that you can't still find new in the box. Yeah. 
Yeah, they just oversaturated the market to okay. the point where the collecting aspect of it was no longer valid. Right. And the game stores that got shipped all that stuff didn't want to order it in the future because... Then they couldn't sell it. it. Just sitting on their shelves. Right. And they were expensive, too. Those characters were like 15 bucks a yes. pop. Right. And it, which is not... I mean, it depends on how you look at it. Like, I mean, I don't buy skins in games, really. I might buy one... Every, like every once in a while, once a year, so like once a year maybe. But like for for Apex Legends, which is the one I'm playing mostly now, um, in Apex, I mean, if you want to buy gold tier skin for your mm -hmm. character, you're going to spend about twenty bucks. Yeah, and that's a purely digital mm -hmm. skin. You know, there's nothing you you don't actually own anything, mm -hmm. and you know people. Buy them, and there are people out there that buy every skin that comes out. Yeah, but at the same time, it seems like people are more ready, you know, ready to just buy the digital skin rather than that physical mm -hmm. character. Character for whatever reason, whether it yeah. be a space issue or just that it's just for your character in a game. Mm -hmm. It's like. You know, I'm not, like I said, I'm not one of those guys. Like, I mean, I'll wear entire outfits, my own self that cost 20 bucks. <laughs> right. I'm not a guy that's got to have, you know, I crawl under houses and in attics for a living. So I don't wear nice, expensive clothes to work. <laughs> and your, your video game characters don't need expensive clothes it's either. Like my, my video game, my video game characters don't need, need outfits that cost the same thing as what I'm wearing <laughs> in real life. Well, yeah. and the, the, I think those Toys to Life thing, they, they ran their course. I think they got really popular because stores were pushing them. Yeah. Uh -huh. The stores saw everything going digital, and they saw this as a way, especially GameStop, to improve their revenue. Uh-huh. But it became oversaturated. Yeah. And it just, uh, the, the market fell through. People just couldn't keep doing it. I think the big thing on the game developers part that they did wrong was they didn't offer it cheaper as digital only. Right. Yeah. I yep. think if they had done that, if people who don't have room to collect and didn't want a whole table full of right. collectibles could have bought it for half the price. Right. Because those turns ecosystems out could have been sustainable. Your kids break the lightsabers off of them. <laughs> or heads. Or heads. <laughs> but we're getting away from this tangent. Yeah. <laughs> with uh with Tomb Raider, Laura Croft is often referred to as the first lady of gaming. Yep. Yep. And that's despite coming out on the PlayStation years and years afterwards. And she, I describe her as being three parts Indiana Jones, two parts James Bond, and one part Green Arrow. Hmm. And that's, that's Laura Croft's character. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... It's, it's one of those things where she's spelunking through ancient temples, fighting T-Rexes, and trapped on islands full of murderous people trying to kill her. But it just, adventure, adventure, she's the female Indiana Jones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that that's definitely noteworthy, because there's there's been other characters like that that have come out since, but she was really kind of the first... Let's do a video game that isn't Indiana Jones, but is that genre of Indiana right. Jones. Right. And, and it's one well, that you don't have to be a video game character to know who she is. I mean, uh, you yeah. don't have to be a, a 
a, a game player. Like, I don't play video games, but I, I know who the character is. Well, it's probably the single most successful franchise to model itself after Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, there, you know, there's countless movies that have tried to be Indiana Jones, and there's mm-hmm. there's books, there's games. Um, you know, there's... Um, what it's what's slightly newer game uh, I'm blanking on that's been pretty successful Uncharted. Uncharted that draws a lot of comparisons, but I mean it's still it, it's nowhere near as successful over you know overall as Tomb Raider. Well, what's what's interesting is when people talk about Uncharted, they don't go it's the video game equivalent of Indiana Jones. They say it's like a male Tomb Raider, <laughs> right? Hmm. Which is Indiana Jones. <laughs> Exactly. Fine. You know, so it's in the video game world, it's it's solidified, you know, itself as being that pivotal. And, mm-hmm. you know, they've completely reworked it in recent years, kind of made it a little more realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, kind of made it more of a survival type thing aspect to it. But uh, it continues to be a, a top franchise. Right. Okay, next on the list, uh, the music of Koji Kondo. And Ah. for those not familiar, this is the person who created Mario, Zelda, Star Fox, and many of the other Nintendo Mm -hmm. music. Yep. And one of the things that he's been uniquely quoted as saying is that when he composes music in chiptune, he composes music as if he is composing for an orchestra. Huh. Wow. And then converts and dials it, it back. Which is why a lot of his works, mm-hmm. there are in, um, and they travel to the U.S. too, but there are traveling bands that do like the, the Legend of Zelda music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what was the band we heard at Dragon Con a couple of years ago? Hmm, I don't remember. That does all the video game music. Uh, they they were at New Orleans Comic Con. Oh, is that where they were? Yeah, because remember Adeline sulked all the way through it because she was tired of being there. She was okay. dressed as Cinderella. She was cute, but she was mean. Oh, I don't remember but, what their name was. But yeah, it translates surprisingly well. So it does, because he writes it as orchestra music and then translates it into game music. And dials it back. That's that's brilliant. That's that's really awesome. And it's that's why, you know, we were talking before and on your previous podcast you mentioned up the um soundtrack show. He's done a few on his works. Mm-hmm. And uh really showing like the difference of when, you know, you're in the first open world and you're going out and you're you're excited and it's a very adventure and upbeat tone mm-hmm. to the uh, ominous tones when you're in a dungeon mm-hmm. and, and the dreadful tones when you're in a boss fight. So like he tells the story of the game mm-hmm. and kind of puts you in how you should feel where you're at in the game by yeah. the music. That's awesome. And, you know, again, some of those things that you don't have to be a video game person to recognize yeah, it's just like you couldn't be a kid in the '80s and '90s and not recognize those those tunes. And you know, it's one of those things where, it, as enjoyable as they are in chip tune, when they're when they're translated to orchestra, mm-hmm. it's stuff that you can put up there 
um, like with John Williams. Mm -hmm. You know, those are soundtracks that you can listen to and the emotions of where they are in the game. If you're somebody who's played the game, they come to just like with John Williams. When you listen to his music, you get all the emotions flood back from whatever scene that song was from because it impacts the story so much. Yeah. Yeah, Next on my list was the Buck Rogers comic strip. Uh huh. And I I put this one because it came out slightly before Flash Gordon, but they were pretty much okay. close to the same time. Right. Um, and kind of rivals. Right. And and then that rivalry then went into their their shorts and their shows. Mm-hmm. And when we think about if we hadn't had those Buck Roger comic strips and those Flash Gordon comic strips, would we have eventually gotten Star Wars? Would we have gotten Star Trek? You know, these these franchises pull on kind of some of those adventure discovery in space and made those kind of part of the, the lexicon and took them from, you know, just being something that was in science fiction novels to something that played as shorts in between an everyday movie that the general public would see mm-hmm. and, and, and kind of paved the way for those sci-fi uh, properties that came afterwards. Yeah. That's awesome. It seems like, is, is that one that came up during the, uh, the sci-fi? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely on the sci-fi list. Um, and I think, I can't remember if we discussed it, but, I, you know, it's definitely one of those really in, important points uh, and kind of covers several areas with uh, comics and film serials. And mm-hmm. um, Those are always the most interesting franchises is the ones that are... Ra- radio. I believe there was a radio show. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, <clears throat> uh, Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon both had such incredible impact on George Lucas. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I mean, heck, George Lucas wanted to make a Flash Gordon movie. If they had let George Lucas make that Flash Gordon movie, I don't know if we'd get Star Wars or not. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you think about that that rivalry between those two that, that started out there, you know, and, and from that comic strip, we had the radio programs. We had the, um, you know, the shorts and the movies and kind of all of that that came after that. It's amazing to see that these were just shorts in a Pulp Fiction magazine. Is how they started, right? right. And uh, it's amazing how many properties that we have today mm-hmm. that either came from Pulp Fiction magazines or from radio dramas. Right. Uh, the 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 serials the, the, the big the, properties. Right. I mean, so many of our big properties that, that started off that way and, and that are still big, influential properties today. Well, and, and yeah. things, I mean, and people were so unimpressed by them when they first came out that they just threw them away. Some of them, yeah. like they don't even exist anymore because nobody thought that, you know, again, it's one of those things that young people saw and cared about. But the people making them just thought that they were just garbage. But they defined the taste of, of the next generation. And Marissa, that, that is why I tell my wife why I have 
a giant rubber tote of 200 issues of Game Informer and and, and another one of Game Pro and, mm-hmm. and magazines, even though I'm probably never going to open it again in right. my garage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I because mean, because the, the, I just think about years from now, like somebody's going to want to see that article that was written about some game that nobody can play anymore. Right. Well, that's why, you know, I've got a big tote full of Star Wars insiders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but it's it, those, those, those pulps, man, the, those magazines were in, in every one of our pillar series has magazines, mm-hmm. pulp magazines on the uh, list because mm-hmm. so many, because they were the people that were giving people an opportunity to publish things that otherwise didn't have a place to be published. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So next one here, winding down to the end of the list, the Ultima and Wizardy. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but they both came out in 1981 within months of each other. So they kind of had a simultaneous development, but these two video games um, basically had different aspects of what would eventually become the RPG kind of thing. And what's interesting is Ultima took the sci-fi route and wizardry took the fantasy route. Hmm. But they, a lot of what games like dragon quest and final fantasy and the, the myriad of other RPGs, a lot of what was their founding mechanics and ideas and concepts came from these games, which at the time was converting something from what was the, uh, text-based RPGs. Okay, right. right. And converting those into something that was an actual playable character you could interact with. Hmm. And so these these two games that both came out within months of each other in 1981 kind of just revolutionized. And the hardware back then was so simplistic, you know, it was so limited in what they were able to do with these mechanics they brought out of the turn-based allowed them to do so much more and kind of tell a story that was thought impossible on that kind of hardware. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's always remarkable when you go back and look at the video games, things that they did pull off during that period of time, really in the infancy of home computers. And I mean, my, we had a lot of that kind of stuff around my house. My grandfather taught the first computer science class in Mississippi. Yeah. And so I grew up with a computer and I was born in 1980, but I don't ever remember not having a computer. Yeah. And, and so we had all kinds of cool games that, you know, were constantly being put out there. And and it was kind of remarkable looking back at what some of those developers were able to do with those systems. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's funny, a a new game comes out and it's, it's got a long load time or this or that. I have very little patience or time for it, but I can boot up games from the, those early days, those early computer games Mm -hmm. and just be enthralled with them. (laughs) Right. Nothing like nostalgia. uh, I know there's a bit of a nostalgia to it, but uh, Mm -hmm. there just was something about the simplicity of them. Yeah. 
where it wasn't all about um, the fanciest graphics and the, you know, all of those things. The, the next one, I think I put this on the fantasy list, uh, was Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the number one grossing franchise in the world. Right. With its merchandising. And it's just, every time you think it's, it's, it's going out, it comes back. But why it's on the adventure list is just what the concept of it is. The, the idea of this, this world where at 10 years old, you can, you can take two years off of school <laughs> and go on a quest yeah. to see if you can become a trainer. And then if you don't succeed, then you just get a normal job. Mm-hmm. But you, you get to go on the, as a 10 year old, this two year sojourn traveling across the land. Yeah. And, sounds like a pretty and fun And just kind world. of the worlds and stuff it creates is, um, you know, very adventure-esque. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's yeah, that's a that's a great one. And uh, yeah, ever since you uh, were on the the last one when you you did pillars, you you put uh, I, the when you did pillars of fantasy with us, you put Shonen uh, jump yeah. on, on the uh, on the list, and I'm sure you noticed that David <laughs> put it on this time. Uh, he has gotten really really into it. <laughs> yeah, so I got I got to get him into my. Uh... My my particular one um, is is Ruby. Okay, that's uh, Rooster Teeth, like right? That. So that that's not Shonen, but that is anime. Right, that's the one that but Rooster Teeth does. Yes, it's produced by them, but it's not it's it's not Red versus Blue. It's not right. No, it's, I've I've seen a little bit of it. it it's uh it's it's definitely not Red versus Blue. <laughs> yeah, but uh, just the concept of that world of you know. It's taking all of the uh, kind of grim characters, you know, people like Little Red Riding Hood and Goldilocks and all that kind of stuff, and then putting them in this world and it, and a lot of the Wizard of Oz characters and mashing them all up, and and every sword is also a gun. Oh. That, that is the big... It's very high fantasy mm-hmm. in some ways, and... But it's kind of like in an alternate, uh, you know, alternate world. It's not set mm-hmm. uh, with us, but it, you know, it's just kind of the the concepts that they come up with that um, mm-hmm. is really interesting. And then they, at first, when you start it, you think, okay, this was this was targeted. Um, you know, the primary characters are kind of like teen girls, and you're kind of okay. This is just like every other anime. It's just being done by an American company. Right. And then it really gets emotionally depth and story depth. Hmm. So, but last one, life. Uh, Life is the greatest adventure. The game of life. Wait, the game of life or just actual life? Just actual life. Oh, actual life. Even better. Yep. And so, you know, Especially when you combine it with your imagination, mm-hmm. it, it, you can you can make anything of it. Only only by what your mind limits you to mm-hmm. is is the lack of adventure you'll have in life. Because you whether it's t- 
taking trips, going on hikes, experiencing new things. Or being a locksmith. All that can be done. Yep. Going on that first date, you know, mm-hmm. finding living here. All that stuff mm-hmm. is an adventure. It's true. And I, I think that's why all these adventure movies resonate with us. Mm-hmm. Because even though they're more fantasiful than maybe our personal lives are, they pull at the basic things that we can sympathize and, and resonate with. Mm-hmm. As we're all experiencing life, we're all experiencing heartache, we're all experiencing joys mm-hmm. and uh, love and passion and all that stuff. And so then when we see it in a story form that's maybe it's in a different setting... Mm-hmm. but it, it pulls at the emotions and, and, and we resonate with the characters. This is what I would do. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think that's the most interesting thing about kind of doing these series is like looking at the really fundamental things that make genres enduring you know, it's like there are things that come and go, but then there are genres that that, that stick around, you know, f- adventure stories forever. Because, like you said, they address fundamental things about who we are and what we want out of life, you know, and, and what we what we want. So I like that. Yeah. I mean, these these stories keep getting retold different ways. Um you know, you, you, you think of stuff like Treasure Planet, Swiss Family Robinson. How many, how many different ways have those been told? Mm-hmm. A lot. You know, I mean, we talked about movies like Treasure Planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lost in Space was on this list. Mm-hmm. You know, those are retellings of those classic stories. Right. Yep. Because they're, they're, they're so fundamental to... If, if you put it, the, the human experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I love your list. I mean, I, you came up with some great stuff. And it's just like I you know, said before, like just this adventure, it just, it, it pulls at us and, and kind of begs us to have our own adventures. And it's, um, it's, there's just something about it that's just really, really ingrained in us as humans. And I, and I yeah. think that's why so many of the most successful franchises out there are just that, they're adventures. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, I want to thank you guys because these uh, Pillar series really caused me to go outside my box and to look into stuff, you know, I'm... There's certain things I'm I'm versed in, right? And certain properties, but then when you go on those deep dives and uh-huh. you find something like uh, what was it, uh, Judex, right? Um, you know that it, it it really is interesting finding these pieces of history that um really had an impact, mm-hmm. and it's. It, it, it's amazing, and, it, and it's especially like with literature, some of that stuff you can go back and you can read and you can still see. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. 
And and that's been, I think, the most fascinating thing about doing this series is just the, like, well, where has this been all my life moments, you know, <laughs> when you're like, wait a minute, you mean this is a thing? I always thought that if only, you know, Indiana Jones and Star Wars were a thing, both together, then that would be, you know, and then you're like, oh, well, you know, there's uh, uh, John Carter of, you know. Of more, and right. you're like, well, there you go. <laughs> right. And that and that's that has been the fun thing about these series is going on these deep dives mm-hmm. of going down these rabbit holes of of learning about the history of of these genres. Mm-hmm. And uh, doing adventure was very different because it's yeah. not as well defined historically mm-hmm. of a genre as say sci-fi or fantasy, which have uh, much more well. Um, written histories of the genre itself Mm -hmm. uh adventure covers such it's such a big broad topic Mm -hmm. yeah and if you ever do action i think action will be the same i I think action will be the same and i do think later this year we'll probably do action because i think when you when you think of genres like like sci-fi horror fantasy those different things western those all fit usually in the um, drama, adventure, action, right? Comedy, mm-hmm. you know, like those are kind of like you. You have like your your sci-fi, fantasy. Th- those are kind of one layer, and then like a step further back is where you have your adventure, um, your drama, your action. Mm-hmm. And those kind of have a, a much more broader spec. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's kind of like, and so that's interesting because some, you know, not all sci-fi is going to be an adventure movie. Right. Right. But a surprising some amount of it is. Are a serious drama. Right. Yeah. It's true. Where they're a comedy, you know, right. it's, you know, and so it's interesting how that, how that kind of interplays with each other. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's been interesting kind of doing this and seeing how the genres overlap. Because mm-hmm. uh, there, there certainly certainly is a lot of that. But, uh, man, we really appreciate you coming on and, and talking about all this with us. I was looking forward, been looking forward to seeing your list. And um, we tried to finish it all up before we got into doing Tolkien in April, oh, and, yeah. and we got bogged, and we we didn't quite make it. Something mm-hmm. happened. Somebody was sick, or or something. We missed a week, and it's it threw off something. the. It'll teach me to not leave an extra week in between starting two series. But mm-hmm. Nick, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Science Fictionary Podcast. Before we go, let everybody know where they can find you on Twitter and your YouTube channel. Yeah, on Twitter, it's uh, back Tardis. And that's T-R-I-D-S. And um, on YouTube, The Backyard Tardis. And um, I'm doing a couple of different things right now. I've got uh, some uh, swag bags when I get, like, the Red 5 Network stuff. And I'll, I'll do a video on that. Um, the thing I've been – I had been working on was going through the Time Lord Victorious arc, which is a multimedia um, crossover. And going between like audio adventures, comics, all that. Something they did in 2020 was kind of a a unique thing. And it was everything but the TV show. Okay. And uh, so it it, it involved comics, collectibles, 
uh, even in animated YouTube shorts, all sorts of stuff, and a, a kind of a big overarching story, and, and some novels. And so, just kind of as I, I consume that, I've been doing little reaction videos to it. And then the other thing that I started doing is I'm a locksmith. And I get a lot of funny stories as a locksmith, and I tell it, and everybody says, oh, you should write memoirs, you should write memoirs. Well, mm -hmm. I'm, I don't have time to m write memoirs, so <laughs> I decided to start documenting them with poorly recorded videos. Perfect, and which are unfailingly in amusing. The, in between jobs, just like sitting down and telling some of my locksmith stories and... Mm -hmm. Um, kind of, and, and it's just me parked on the side of the road between two jobs recording uh, a short little five to 10 minute video, um, about some situation I had. And they go from everything from, you know, really disaster houses to people with paranoid schizophrenia, um, to I've, I've got one coming out about a time that I had to basically, jump from one ladder to another to get up to where the lock was because oh. my ladder was too short. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's fun. And uh, I went back and, and took, uh, filmed it next to where that ladder is, but I had to go change the, uh, oh uh, light room on a, on a subway sign up on the top of their story and a half building. Oh my gosh. That's <laughs> horrifying. So just, you know, great, crazy stuff that I do. So uh, awesome. Well, we'll leave a uh, link to your YouTube channel in the description for the episode so people can, can find it. Uh, Marisha, where can people find you? You can find me on my website, princessesandpadawans.com. I am princesses underscore and underscore padawans on Instagram, where you can find me if you're not looking for anything current, um, just old pictures of my cute kids. And most mostly these days, I am P Padawans on Twitter. All right, and I'm Andrew Gore. You can find me running the Twitter account for this show at Psy underscore Fictionary. You can find us on our other show over at Coruscant Radio Underground. You can drop us a line at thesciencefictionary at gmail.com. And as always, be sure to check out red5network.com for the rest of the Red 5 podcast family. You can also find them at Red 5 Network on Twitter. And until next time, I'll leave you with the words of J.M. Barry. To live will be an awfully big adventure. Perfect. All right, good good night. Job, All right, man, you too. All right. Thanks, thanks for joining Nick. us. All right. Good night. Thank you. Oh, geez, and Peter got to be late.